Welcome, everyone, to episode 41 of our NCAA Social Series. I'm Andy Katz. Pleased to be joined by Dr. Brian Hainline, the NCAA Chief Medical Officer. Uh, Dr. Hainline, we want to get into a little bit of the weeds here because there has been some discussion, some initial uh, proposals that certainly were put out and now have been put into place about what will happen or what is anticipated to happen at the men's basketball championships in the state of Indiana. We'll touch on a little bit of other winter championships sort of more broadly because still more details are to come. So let's first deal with the men's basketball championship. Um, that has been put out that it will be in the state of Indiana. So we know under one geographic region. So I want to get your view on that because we haven't heard from you on that as to why that was important to deal with one state, one governor, one local uh, health department, one state department to try to be all on the same page rather than spreading across the country. Yeah, well, thanks for that, Andy. So, you know, when you look at the, the challenges of, and let's just talk about men's division one uh, basketball championships, you know, you have 68 teams and initially it's spread out across uh, over 12 geographical locations. And just given where we are in the pandemic right now and, and you know, negotiating with all of those local public health authorities and knowing that things can change rapidly. We don't know where things are going to be next month or, or, or a month from now. So the discussion shifted to not really recreating what the NBA did because it's not feasible with, with, with college athletics and especially with student athletes, but doing something similar to that, really creating a containment zone, if you will, one, one geographical area where all the teams come in, they can be managed and we have a great working relationship with everyone that's involved in the decision-making. So it, it begins with the governor and then with the mayor and then with the local public health authorities. In Indianapolis, it's Marion County in, in particular with, with, with the commissioner of Marion County Public Health. But then there are adjacent counties where some really games would be played. So it was really just looking at the circumstances of, of the pandemic and first and foremost saying, is it possible is it feasible to conduct the men's one division one basketball championships safely? That's the first and most important question. And we really realize in, in working with experts, working with our NCA COVID-19 medical advisory group and, and with the local public health authorities that we could create a space, if you will, where things could be conducted safely. So, so that was the basic premise of, of how we how we went about doing this. And, and then we started developing protocols. And what was really important is to make certain that there was a uniform approach, that there was an agreement for all of the different protocols that we would put out. How much has it helped that Marion County has already had to deal with, uh, with an issue, essentially? Uh, they had that game between Gonzaga and Baylor uh, that ultimately got postponed. And, and it was the Marion County Health Department that made the final call in those hours before tip-off uh, they're obviously also having to deal with um, the Indiana Pacers. I mean, so they've got a pro team that's now playing and have to go through protocols. So they're already at least dealing with initial issues before we even get to March Madness. No, that's true. And in particular, the, the Marion County Health Commissioner, Dr. Virginia Kane. So we've been working together actually since last March because she was also helping us navigate with the NCA national office and, and the ways initially that we were setting up our own protocols. And, and then of course, when we were, we've spent a lot of time talking about 
her experience in, in sports in Indianapolis. And then she knows many people that are on our advisory group. She actually spoke with our advisory group. So yeah, there was a familiarity uh, going in, in many different directions and, and that's always extremely helpful. All right, so let's deal with um, the protocols. Um, tier one, as we know, we've all been sort of uh, become comfortable with it, uh, is essentially the team, the staff. I, when I say that, I mean the coaches and then important personnel around them. It could be athletic trainer. It could be a team doctor. Uh, it might at times be that sports information director, that media liaison, maybe the video person. Um, and, you know, it can extend out a little bit deeper within each team program, depending upon how many they include within their tier one. And when we get to the NCAA, the tier one might include obviously other people related to organizing the tournament, maybe some media that are going to be closer. So we know we're still a little bit of ways from that, but in general, tier one, what will be the protocols for tier one when we get to March Madness? So the most important protocol is actually always going to be behavior. So we'll get to talk about testing soon enough, but but risk mitigation begins with behavior. And so it actually begins before we even get to Indianapolis. So there are gonna be conference championships and um, we're really looking very carefully at that week before any tier one individual would even come to Indianapolis. And we'll be sending out best practices and considerations for any member school that, that really has a chance to come to the division one men's basketball championship emphasizing behavior at all times. And again, Andy, you know, we talked about this time and time again, the most essential behavior is when you're not actively competing on the court, when you're off the court, unless you're alone in your room, you are always universally masked and you're always physically distanced. We also added to that some testing protocols. And so what was announced publicly and, and agreed with uh, Marion County uh, is that any player or tier one individual who is to be considered to come to the final championships, they will be tested daily for seven days in a row. And all of those tests must be confirmed negative. One of them must be PCR. And then the last test has to be taken within one day of actually arriving in Indianapolis. So that's just before we get there. And then once everyone arrives again, we're gonna be managing the space really, really carefully. And I think that's important for everyone to understand space management, if, if you will. So getting to Indianapolis, everything is gonna be chartered. And, and whether it's by bus or whether by uh, air charter, everyone will be remain physically distanced. They'll be masked. There'll be no meals. We won't be drinking. Uh, you know, sodas or, or water or what have you. We just have to maintain uh, that, that really most important aspect of risk mitigation. Then everyone arrives and um, it'll, you know, essentially be that Sunday and, and Monday. It may extend to Saturday beforehand, before uh, that first week. And everyone is tested upon arrival and they will receive a second test the next day, separated by at least 12 hours. And if you've had seven negative tests in a row, and then the first two tests upon arrival in Indianapolis, if they're negative, then you can begin team practice, not interacting with other teams, just team practice. 
And again, the only time where there should ever be a breakdown in what we call the possibility of, of transmitting or, or, or you know, receiving the, the COVID-19 virus from someone else would be actually on the basketball court. That's the only time when uh, people will possibly not be within uh, the physical distance or they'll be, they'll be within six feet of each other and they won't be masked. And so the way it's designed from a contact tracing point of view, if everything is done just right from a space and behavior management perspective, we then need to focus on what's happening on the court. And there are ways to do that, which, which we can outline. So that, that's sort of the essence of it, Andy. All right, so a couple of things. First of all, uh, this sounds very similar. I, I know you know that I went through the Bubbleville down at the Mohegan Sun earlier this season. And when we arrived at the site, you had to go to your room uh, and spend at least the overnight until the test result came back. So that, I think that's what you're talking about. At least upon arrival, there would be that initial sort of quarantine uh, in your respective rooms before you get a negative. Uh, and then obviously then you would go out every day to get your negative test before you could go be cleared to practice. I wanna go back to the week before for a moment here. The Big Ten and the Pac-12, they're doing daily testing. Most everyone else is doing three times a week. So let's say hypothetically, outside of those two conference tournaments where I would anticipate they would keep that up that week before. For the other leagues, how will that be administered? Is that coming from the NCAA? Uh, will these tests now be sort of ordered to every other conference tournament around the country that, okay, beginning now, you've got to go every day. It can't be every other day if that team that wins or those at large teams are going to then uh, progress to Indianapolis. Right, so we presented this to the conference commissioners. And so the testing the week before is to be overseen by the conferences and the member schools. And then similar to what we've done, Andy, with the officials where we have a dashboard that's created and the test results can be uploaded. That will be the responsibility to make certain that the test results are, that, that they're, they're complete and that they've been done properly and then that they're uploaded. So that will be a conference and, and member school responsibility. All right, so then upon arrival, um, we've both talked about this, uh, uh, obviously your role with um, the USTA, and, and I've actually said this publicly, and I, I, I hope I'm saying this correctly, that one of the models to sort of look at is, of course, what happened with the US Open at the end of August and early September, which was you can't expect world-class athletes to literally do nothing for a week, be cleared, and then go out and play a Grand Slam. And then the same thing, obviously, for our championship uh, you know, the best players in the sport that we can't expect them to literally be quarantined and then go out and play. So it would be a controlled environment, uh, very limited about where they can move, which was very similar to what happened with the U.S. Open. So I want to make sure we're clear that it would be essentially where, whatever those areas are deemed as if they are hotel, practice site, if it's different than arena, and that's it. You're not going to a restaurant. You're not going, you know, to any other place in the downtown area, or if you're in you know, the sub suburbs or what have you, that it's going to be controlled because you can't bubble an entire city, uh, very much similar to what the U.S. Open went through. Well, well you're, you're right about that, Andy. We took a lot of notes from the U.S. Open. As, as, as you know, I was involved in, in helping to set up that containment environment, and, and we worked very closely with uh, Mike Rodriguez, who is the chief security officer for the U.S. Tennis Association, too. He's one of the members of, of the medical advisory group. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's in many ways uh, uh, similar. I think 
One difference, a very important difference, is that at the U.S. Open, recall there was one little hiccup where uh, because the hotel at, at JFK was uh, didn't work out at the last minute, the players were housed in Nassau County rather than in Queens. And um, we learned our lesson from that because that meant that there were uh, two different local public health authorities that didn't necessarily see eye to eye. So all of our players will be housed in Marion County. Um, one of the reasons why the testing requirements before coming are so strict is because what we didn't want to do is have 68 teams come and then have them quarantine for essentially 10 days. So uh, before their first practice, they will have nine uh, negative tests and then we'll continue to test on a very regular basis. The cadence will be daily. Um, we don't know yet when the first game will be played, but from Marion County's point of view, the players are arriving, their tier one participants are arriving Sunday and Monday, and the first game could be as early as that Thursday or Friday, but ultimately that's the decision that uh, CBS and Turner will make. All right, so one thing that happened in the NBA bubble is when you lose, in the playoffs I should say, you're out. You're out of the bubble. Uh, when a team loses at the NCAA tournament, uh, essentially how fast are they going to be sort of be preparing to leave uh, the controlled environment? So the, the protocol is that they are expected to leave within one day of being eliminated from the tournament. All right. So now other sort of personnel, um, people that work in the hotel. Um, and I say this because down at the Mohegan Sun, as an example, and I know this was mirrored around, across the country, is people that had nothing to do with the games but were helping food service, uh, whether they were people working, you know, in the hotel um, you know, they had to go through some strict protocols as well. Uh, what are the chances that all those people in the hotels that will house these teams and the tier one personnel or in the arena um, that it will be, you know, semi-close uh, to the players, uh, even if they're within, you know, plexiglass, if it's even stack crew, those people, what will be their sort of protocols? Right, so you, you, then you start talking about who's tier two, here's tier, who's tier three, and how do they interact with one another. And essentially, so there are gonna be also testing protocols that will be for tier two and tier three. Um, the, the final details of that haven't uh, been announced yet, but most importantly is that the athletes or any tier one participant, whenever there's an encounter with someone from outside of that tier, tier two or tier three, the bus driver, for example, everyone will be universally masked and the key is managing the space. And the space really means, you know, so what does it mean to be a close contact according to the CEC? It means that you have been within six feet of someone for 15 minutes cumulative over that day, and that's someone who, who has COVID-19. And so there's gonna be a really strict adherence to managing that space at all times because the CDC doesn't necessarily uh, state that it's just masking that that's enough. It really is maintaining the physically distance as well. So we're gonna be focusing on both. And there will be, there will be strict protocols for how all of the tiers uh, interact with each other or really for the most part don't interact except under very specified uh, situations. What about game officials? So game officials are tier one. So they will follow the same protocols as everyone else. They'll have the same testing requirements. And, you know, it's, it's just like uh, athletes and that, that, that they like to get together and so forth. And officials like to get together. You know, it's, it's, 
it, it's sort of like a family, but they're going to uh, be under strict protocols too. They, they can't just hang out and, and socialize. And when there's eating, eating's either gonna be in the room or in designated areas that we're setting up in conjunction with Marion County that meet all of their requirements. So people can take their mask off and eat. So officials, yeah, they're, they're like the players in this one. All right, so these next couple questions, uh, Dr. Hayline, I think are germane not just to the men's basketball championship, but to the other championships that will occur in the, in the winter space. And those are, first off, uh, how do you handle that outdoor space? Um, and I know this is a concern. So uh, we can't all be sort of stuck inside for a month um, and not getting fresh air. So how do you control when you're when you're in a city and this i think is really true no matter what sport it is whenever we have a championship in you know between now and let's say april how do you handle allowing the tier 1 to get some fresh air you know potentially some exercise uh, within the protocols yeah, so that's the really the way that um, really we believe states and cities should be managing that space too. And so even when you're outdoors, and and we've discussed before that because of the you know ventilation is very important in in, in terms of how COVID-19 is spread. And if you were to choose a space to be in, if you have the possibility, well, outdoors is 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 ideal. But even outdoors, we're going to be monitoring the the athletes and we're still going to be adhering to the physical distance and masking i mean you just can't at championships and you really shouldn't at any time be letting your guard down in terms of risk mitigation so it's still going to be basically space management all right so but that is clear just make sure people can get fresh air even if they're wearing a mask and they're distancing they can get physically outside um another point that i think transcends all the different championships and that is retesting uh, I get a lot of coaches asking me this. Um, so if they've been positive, we know that it's been a 90-day deal. Um, you know, and there's been a lot of players in a lot of sports that have been positive and staff. Um, and some were in the summer, some were in the fall, and some it's happening as you and I are talking now. So what are going to be the protocols for retesting people that have had it and may still have had it within their system, yet clearly are not contagious. Right, so for the championships, we will, we will have a uniform approach. You, you, you may know that um, across the, the various member schools that, that some schools have not been testing um, if, if student athletes are within 90 days of an infection, but some local public health authorities have allowed that to be extended up to 150 days. And um, there's still a debate on that. There's emerging science on that. But for the sake of uniformity, the championships will follow the CDC recommendations. And so that essentially means if you're at least two weeks out from an infection and within 90 days, you do not need to be retested except for a really rare circumstance. And I mean, exceptionally rare when you look across the world. And that would be if you develop COVID symptoms and an infectious disease expert or infection control officer believes that there's nothing else that can account for those symptoms. But otherwise, within that 90-day window, there will not be testing. All right, another thing is how will, and this once again, I think is true for all championships, um, how will you handle uh, potentially, I guess, the contact tracing aspect, if someone positive, po if someone is positive, 
so one person, let's just say hypothetically, uh, within a tier one, uh, you know, it doesn't matter, walk on, assistant coach, if they pop, um, how, what are the chances that that team, regardless of sport, ends up having to be withdrawn from the championship? Yeah, so this is where the, the collaboration with the local public health authorities is, is so important. And so part of our work with all of the championships is that the boots on the ground individuals and in these predetermined sites were already working with the public health authorities and sharing um, the protocols with them. So let's take that question and, and, and move back to basketball because this has been publicly um, uh, submitted and, and, and documented how, how we'll contact, handle contact tracing for basketball. There's an assumption and it's gonna be monitored that the only time there should be a breakdown in masking and physical distancing is on the court. At all other times, that will be maintained. And so we, for example, worked with Marion County and said, well, what about travel? And Dr. Kane has said publicly that, well, if we can really guarantee that during travel, people were physically distanced and masking, and then someone arrives on site and there's a positive, that we do not have to do contact tracing for the others because they've met the CDC criteria of not needing contact tracing. So let's then say we're in Indianapolis and, and, and you know, everyone's doing what they need to do and there's a positive case, then we have to look at the court. And every single tier one participant will be having the Connexon device. So it's a way of, of assessing the proximity of one person to another. And we'll also be using video analysis. And, and that will be to determine, has there really been a breach of that six foot barrier for an accumulation of 15 minutes or more over 24 hours? So if we do everything just right, Andy, the contact tracing then would be limited to the time when you're on the court uh, practicing or playing a game. And once again, I think this is true for all championships, um, you know, basketball. And we know on the women's side, there's still a lot of details to be determined on how they're going to figure everything out. Uh, obviously in the state of Texas um, and, you know, we'll get the hockey wrestling. I mean, we're not going to get in the weeds of that today because um, we know there's still a lot of details to be put up. But again, I think this transcends all the different championships. And, and that is, um, you know, once you go through the protocols, okay. Um, I know you can't, you know, see a crystal ball here, but how confident are you or cautiously optimistic that in rounds two or three, regardless of sport, that you shouldn't have people popping positive because they've been under this controlled environment. They've been being tested every day. And so there wouldn't be these long gaps in between one round to the next. Well, look, you're right. Uh, uh, although COVID has uh, proved us wrong many times, Andy, and, 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 and we have to remember this is still, it's a, it's a contagious disease. And even though um, we're seeing some light now that, that vaccines have, have been rolling out. You know, we, we still fully anticipate that, that COVID will be with us in our, our society for, for months to come because it's going to take some time to really uh, roll out an effective uh, vaccination program and, and really develop what we call true herd immunity. Um, that being said, if you've gotten to the championship just from a Darwinian survival point of view, knowing how to do things behaviorally, um, hopefully you're really pretty good at doing everything that needs to be done. And I think the coaches have a really good understanding of how important it is and, you know, how a team can be knocked off potentially 
um, when you when you're in a championship situation. So, look, I'm cautiously optimistic that that people will do what's necessary behaviorally, and that with our testing uh, protocols, that that will be able to pick up a positive early enough so that it doesn't derail a championship. All right. So uh, you mentioned the vaccines. A couple other quick things before we we uh, end our session here. Um, the vaccine. Uh, obviously, the rollout, we hope it will be changing uh, and picking up speed here at the end of January and into February. So we still have plenty of time before mid-March. But the population of student athletes, probably further down the list. Coaches, athletic trainers, docs, they could certainly be in a population that does get vaccinated between now and then. Whether or not they get their second shot between now and the championships, regardless of sport, we don't know that yet. If, though, someone has been vaccinated, whether it's the first or second shot, what are the chances they would also still have to go through the same testing? So that's still to be determined, Andy. Right now, for if we if we don't look at championships, but just the regular competitions happening in the season, uh, the NCAA COVID-19 Medical Advisory Group put out a recommendation that even those who have been fully vaccinated, that they still stay with the same cadence of testing. And what's happening is that we're gathering data now, and it's actually happening at many member schools. So I should say member schools are, 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 are getting data as are our other facilities and, and through this in conjunction with the CDC. If you're fully vaccinated, we still know even with Moderna and Pfizer that there's a 5% chance you could develop COVID-19, although not serious symptoms, at least in the, uh, in the early studies. But can you be a carrier? So could you be inoculated with the, the coronavirus that causes COVID-19 and potentially transmit it to someone else, even though your immune system effectively combats it? So these are questions we don't have the answers to. And so that's why, at least for now, um, pre-championship, we're not changing the cadence of testing. And, and the variants, obviously, we're still learning as much uh, about all those as well. Highly contagious, if that obviously travels in this country. Uh, how much is that? Just another reminder to follow the rules. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and so, you know, two variants that we're following carefully now from the United Kingdom and, and South Africa. Um, the, the, the good news is, at least from preliminary uh, evidence, is that they don't seem to be what we call escape mutants, meaning that they have changed uh, architecturally so much that they're no longer going to be responsive to the treatments that have been developed or to the vaccines that, that are rolling out. Um, but, but, you know, the, the one from the United Kingdom certainly has demonstrated that it can spread more easily. So, yeah, we have to maintain really, really good vigilance because we're, we're, we're still in the midst of a pandemic. And, and two last things, Dr. Hainline. One is that, and I've had this question come to me as well, is, um, you know, the regular testing for, um, you know, for drugs, I guess, is for lack of a better term, um, you know, that's sort of been not obviously in the headlines, but how much will that continue, that kind of drug testing throughout the course of the championships? Um, because obviously our singular focus has been on COVID-19. Yeah, so we still have an active relationship with the independent agency that, that, that uh, really conducts the drug testing at, at championships and throughout the year, so Drug Free Sport International. And uh, as is always our policy, we don't announce uh, which championships will, will undergo testing, but uh, we, we still are in a very active uh, relationship with them and, and, and still have plans for testing. And um, I just wanna close on this and, and 
as disappointing as it is and frustrating when we see there are postponements and teams that are going on pause. Although I will say this, that in all sports, we're still having a higher percentage of teams participating, games being played than not, um, you know, regardless of sport. That's the fact. And, uh, you know, we're still at a higher level. But it's disappointing and frustrating. But I'm going to flip it around. Um, how much is it telling us that the system is working, that we're catching the positives and pausing to prevent a full-scale outbreak at that particular institution or with the team potentially that they had played against? Well, it's a great question. And, and, and you know, the NCAA has always taken the position that um, if we're going to re-socialize sport, we're doing it with the best evidence possible, working in a collaborative way with the membership. And, and we believe it has been successful. If you look at the basketball games, it's been about 81% that have been played to date. And for football, it's been over 80%. There was the college football playoffs that were that were held successfully. So all in all, yes, there it's been uh, more successful in terms of games played than, than games canceled. And, and from a safety point of view, you know, when the games are canceled, it, because it doesn't make sense to uh, conduct the games. But uh, when they are being played, they're being played safely. So I, I think that's a really strong statement. And, and as a metaphor, one can say, well, um, is, is this a really rational way to re-socialize in, in society? Look at, look at how the NCAA and collegiate sport did it. So, um, yeah, it, we, we can turn the question around and say, hey, we've done an evidence-based approach and, and it seems to be working. And I want to remind our viewers that uh, in the coming weeks, we'll have more details on other winter championships uh, as dates are announced and we can get sort of more discussion and because every sport is different as, as the two of us have discussed over the last year. Um, so you can't, I mean, it's not apples and apples. Uh, wrestling may be different than skiing and so on. So we'll, we'll, there'll be some universal, obviously, protocols, but there are going to be obviously some differences, outdoor, indoor, and so on. And so when we get further down the line, and we have spring championships to announce. We'll get more details, obviously, uh, as we get closer to that. So for these purposes, uh, I want to thank you, Dr. Hainline, as we continue to turn the wheel and get closer. But we do have time, and things can change, as we've seen every day, every week, every month, every hour, every second. Uh, hopefully, things will start to get better uh, sooner than later. And we still do have two months uh, before the, the official tip-off of the championships at least in men's and women's basketball. Dr. Hainline, I appreciate you. Uh, stay safe. And as always, everyone can go to ncaa.org slash social series, where, where, where all our social series are archived, and you can check out all our past episodes. We'll talk again next week. Thank you. <laughs>